I am Jace Curry, the Director of Community Outreach at Women Offshore. A popular topic here at Women Offshore has centered on maternity benefits at shipping and offshore companies. You and I are going to explore options and resources for new moms returning to careers on the water, specifically related to pumping breast milk. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. Women Offshore is a 501c3, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting a diverse workforce on the water. Today, I have with me Diana Ormond, second assistant engineer and also a certified lactation counselor. So we are going to talk about options for moms who want to continue their breastfeeding or pumping journeys while they go back to sea and just what those different options and resources look like. Diana, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here to have this conversation. And to start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you started your business. Hey, so thank you for having me. I am super, super excited about this. I am really passionate about getting as much information out there as possible. And everybody deserves quality support. So here we go. (laughs) So I had zero interest in the lactation world as of a year and a half ago, I guess a little bit more than that. And then I had my first child back in March of 2020. And due to COVID-19, the whole world shut down, which also meant it was really hard to get lactation support. And I did have a couple of people in my life that it worked out really well and they were able to support me. And so I got really interested in all kinds of the ins and outs. And I spent so much time reading while I was pumping and, <laughs> and, and middle of the night feeds. And I, I started thinking to myself, you know, I should use this knowledge. I should be able to give this to somebody else the right way instead of just being like, hey, by the way, did you know this? Instead, yeah. being able to back it up with an actual curriculum that I've been through and with the studies and with the research. And so... I took a certified lactation counselor course through the Healthy Children Project and became a certified CLC. There's a bunch of different breastfeeding specialties out there, and this is a really, really popular one. I think a lot of times all we ever hear is IBCLC. And so you go to Google IBCLC and like maybe you have one in your area, but if you knew to search a CLC or a lactation specialist or whatever it might be, you may have like 30 different options available. And so I got really, really, really into this. IBCLC is an international board certified lactation consultant. Okay. And a CLC is a certified lactation counselor. Got it. And so for a woman who's looking for support, she can search either one of those terms, but a CLC will give like a broader search range. Is that right? It kind of just depends on your area. So there may be more CLCs in your area, or there may be more IBCLCs, or maybe you're looking for somebody that's just doing virtual work and you could find either. It kind of just broadens your horizons a little bit. Cool. Awesome. (laughs) And so I got really passionate and I decided once I got certified that I wanted to open a an entirely virtual practice, which is a little bit unique. I think that With COVID-19, everybody's eyes have kind of been open to the possibilities that are virtual. And 
there's actually a lot of support and care that can be given virtually. And hopefully by now, everybody's had a good experience with the medical world in a virtual sense. And I think that that's just going to keep getting better and better as everybody gets more comfortable with it. And so my take on it is I wanted to be able to support anybody in the United States, sailing, military bases, and I can do it by an internet connection, if they have cellular data, if they can only call, if they can send emails. So there's a lot of different avenues for me to be able to support anybody that needs it. Yeah. And being a mariner yourself, you're very well versed in the different (laughs) communication challenges, ship to ship, location to location, country to country, et cetera. So I think it's really cool that you're offering that type of support, you know, especially because like we've heard stories from women in our community that were like, Hey, I was having issues and here I am trying to Google like, and figure things out and figure out like different solutions on my own. So to be able to have someone that they can go to, who's just a wealth of knowledge in this area is huge and super cool. I agree. I think it's, it's pretty exciting. I even got to test out the whole work with anybody around the world, sort of. My husband just got back from sailing. He's also a mariner and he was in Kuwait when I was setting up my whole practice. And so it turns out if you're in Kuwait, I could support you off of their cellular data network. (laughs) So it works. It works. That is so cool. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So that being said, I know we kind of just talked about this, but like, who do you help and how can women work with you while at sea? What does that process look like? So basically I'm here to support mothers, fathers, grandparents that are trying to step in and take care of, you know, the infant or children while, you know, anybody else is working. I try to help anybody that's, that's struggling in the infant feeding department. (laughs) And so on a ship, the way that my practice is set up. I use Google Workspace. It used to be called G Suite, or maybe it's still called G Suite. I don't know. Everybody either knows G Suite or Google Workspace. <laughs> and it's kind of like Zoom or a FaceTime call. We don't have to do a video chat. We can you know, do a straight call through it. And during the visit, I have a couple of different types of, of visits, but a, a primary visit. Basically, we would chat for a little while you would have already sent me some intake forms that I have. And so I would have a good history of, of what you've been going through and what your infant's been going through. And then we would chat about what you're currently experiencing, what you're trying to, what point you're trying to get to. So what your goal is, and then the best way that we can problem solve that and support that. And that also comes with follow-up care as well. And I think that that's really important. It's not just like a, oh, hey, I have this issue. Thanks for the information. And then you never hear from somebody again. Yeah. I'm really big on follow-up care. That is so cool. What tips do you have just general? Because I know a lot of what you do is going to be more individual and specialized, but what general tips do you have for moms who are about to return to see maybe for the first time or who feel like they kind of got the hang of this, but what would be helpful to know? Sure. So I think that my number one 
top priority is hand expression. Mm. And I don't think that that gets talked about enough. I think that a lot of times, you know, you've just given birth and then they're like, ah, latch the baby and you're good to go because they saw you latch one time. But hand expression is like the number one tool when it comes to successful breastfeeding and lactation. And that's, that's whether you are strictly nursing or maybe you're pumping some or you're exclusively pumping or you're formula feeding or, you know, whatever it is, whatever supplement, you know, you, maybe you're supplementing with donor milk. Maybe you're, you've got frozen milk, you're thawing, you're, you, you, there's a lot of different <laughs> ways to go about this, but hand expression can re- relieve engorgement. It can get milk removed if you're in a weird, tricky situation and you don't have anything to safely collect the milk and you just need to relieve the pressure without having an impact on your supply. Yeah, I can't, I can't stress hand expression enough. <laughs> Another really big tip is that you should know how to use your pump ahead of time. Before so, you go offshore. Yes. So <laughs> you may not be pumping a lot while you're home and that's, that's understandable, but yeah. you should definitely take some time to pump, figure out how you respond to it, figure out what settings feel best for you. I can't stress this enough either is you need to have the proper size flanges. Mm-hmm. And that means, that means measuring for flanges. And a lot of times, you know, the hospital staff will just say, oh yeah, that looks good. I can tell you in my experience, I was given a pump set at the hospital and it was a 24 millimeter flange and that was significantly too big. And I had to actually, you know, Google all of this and and through my court and figure it out and learn to measure. And I was significantly smaller (laughs) and that actually resulted in more milk removal, more efficient milk removal. And so, you knowing how to use your pump getting comfortable with hooking yourself up to a pump and figuring out the bra that you're going to need for that, whether you want a hands-free bra or you're cool with, you know, hanging on and just relaxing for 15 or 20 minutes. That's totally personal, but knowing how to use your pump is huge. Also, you're going to want to know whether your pump can be used internationally. And so if you can use it in a standard U.S. outlet, can you use it in the United Kingdom. Can you? Right. Because even if you have an adapter, it might be a different voltage. And I've worked right. on ships that are not 120. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's really important in your manual, your pump manual will tell you if that's a thing. That's really important for pumps that you have to stay plugged in while you're pumping. That's not necessarily quite the same for wearable pumps because those you charge ahead of time and then you know, you're pumping on the go. The other really big thing is don't just show up to a ship and expect everybody to be really excited to support you in your breastfeeding journey. That's, <laughs> that's probably not going to be the case. And if it was like, let me know about it because we should send everybody to that ship or that company. <laughs> we should that's send awesome. that crew on like a <laughs> training mission for the entire fleet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so you're going to want to have a plan in place and you're going to want to figure out what your goal is. You know, when you are out at sea, are you trying to just keep up your supply? Are you worried about getting your milk back to your infant? Are you 
content with them being supplemented with formula where you're gone? Do you already have a milk stash frozen and that's going to get them through the time that you're there? So figure out what your goal is and then come up with a plan of what's it going to look like when you have to pump on watch? What's it going to look like when you're pumping in your stateroom? Do you have to share a stateroom with somebody else? Do you have a clean area that you can reliably pump every single time? Or are you going to be in different areas of the ship? And then there's the, where do you store the milk? Are you going to have access to the reefers? There can be a lot that goes into that. And so I highly suggest you take the time to actually think about kind of some of the more tricky details. And then you need to approach your company and say, hey, look, this is my goal. I've already thought this through. Let me present all of this to you because they're going to be much more willing to work with you if you bring them a solution instead of bringing them a problem. And no way, shape or form do I mean this is a problem, but everybody's more willing to be like, oh, wow, you already figured this out. I don't have to do any work. This is great. Yeah, definitely. Right. And also like just asking for what you need. Like I know when I returned to work, I was officing at my client's office one day a week and I was like, hey, like I need a place to pump. I don't care if it's a conference room with a door that locks, like just eat somewhere, you know? Right. Um, And having an idea of like what that actually is. Right. And so I think you covered some great things to think about beforehand. Definitely, you know, reach out to other nursing moms, other women in our community who have gone through that before. You might even find someone who had been assigned to the same ship previously and is able to say like, oh yeah, this is what I did. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And one thing that you and I were talking about before this is realizing that like this journey does not need to be linear. And there are certainly other options for moms. Like if, you know, like one of our guests previously said she had to pump and dump the majority of her milk because she wasn't able to send it home frozen. And so realizing that like the journey might not look like a hundred percent of your breast milk, a hundred percent of the time. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to touch on some of the alternatives to that. Sure. And I, I agree. It's nothing about what you're going to go through is the same as what anybody else has gone through. And I think that that's huge. And so different ways that this, this can work out for you, you could be nursing on demand. So your baby is latching and getting your milk. You could have already pumped ahead of time and frozen the milk. And so now you have a stash frozen of your milk. You could be feeding formula. You could be feeding formula at any point in time. There's no set time that says like, you have to feed formula now. Now you have to feed milk. There's nothing like that. That just means get your baby fed. (laughs) There's also, there's donor milk is available and donor milk. The only safe, I should say, the safest <laughs> way possible to receive donor milk is through a milk bank. And that is the only way that I endorse getting donor milk because you don't know 
what somebody else has gone through with their milk. You don't know what medications they may be taking, what supplements they may be taking, if they use things like essential oils regularly. You don't know what their diet is like. You know, maybe your baby has some sort of allergy or intolerance to something that that person's diet may have and yours doesn't. And then the really, really big, like, red flag, I would say, is bacteria. So you don't know how that person pumps and stores their milk. You don't know if they wash their hands ahead of time, pump, wash their hands, store their milk immediately in the freezer, or if they put it in the fridge for a couple of days and then they put it in the freezer. You don't know at any point in time if that milk has defrosted and then they froze it again. There's no way to tell with unregulated donor milk if it's got anything else in it. So whether it's been cut with water or cow's milk or formula, it's kind of a big, scary world when it comes to donor milk. And that's, that's a big risk. The safest way to do it is through a milk bank where it's actually, I can attest to the milk bank here in the Hampton Roads area, which is where I'm located. They pasteurize the milk. They screen it for bacteria. They screen it for several viruses that can be passed through the milk. And so, and it's homogenized. So it's, it's a whole bunch of donor's milk all mixed together. And everything about that process is controlled. It's kept in a controlled environment. It is shipped in a controlled environment. It arrives however you're getting it in a controlled environment. Because that's another issue with donor milk is you don't know how that milk is getting to you necessarily. You know, if somebody's shipping you that milk, is it really going to stay frozen? What temperature did it stay at the entire time? So there's a lot of ifs that come with peer-to-peer milk sharing. So the big things are, you know, your own milk, formula, donor milk, and then there's different ways that those can all be given to the infant. Yeah. And that might look different just at different points in the journey. Right. So I'm glad that we touched on that. I know there's a lot of mom shaming that goes on around how babies are fed, which the baby's eating. It's fine. (laughs) That's, That's my take on it too. I think it is most important to get that baby, the calories it needs to thrive. And a lot of times supplementation can actually help a nursing mother, you know, because you're relieving stress or anxiety, or you're giving them a break for feeding, or you're giving the baby enough energy to actually nurse and remove the milk. There's a lot to be said for supplementation. Yeah. And that's, I guess another tip that I would throw in there too is I know you talked about pumping before leaving for C so that you were familiar with your pump, but -hmm. also so that baby's familiar with bottles because my daughter definitely went through a period where she's like, no, I don't want that. Like, (laughs) don't want the bottle. So knowing beforehand that baby will take a bottle and continue to do so. And because sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right type of bottle that's going to work for them. So knowing, oh, I need to buy all of this kind and this kind totally doesn't work is really helpful. I agree. And then I think another thing that isn't often mentioned is you can feed a baby from an open cup. So if your baby's not taking a bottle, 
you can put a little milk in an open cup and just real gently tip it back into their mouth and let them swallow a little bit at a time. And that's actually a really effective way to feed a baby if they're not doing well on a bottle. Mm, That's such a good tip. Thank you for sharing. Sure. So we talked a little bit about that, but what are some rights and or protections that women should be aware of as they're returning to their jobs, as they're traveling? Can you share a little bit of information? I know this will kind of vary region to region, right? But just some general guidance. Sure. So this part is definitely US-based and it's, I encourage you to actually go read this. It's where we get our general protections for this in the United States is the break time for nursing mothers provision in the Fair Labor Standards Act. And that will actually lay out what an employer is required to do for a pumping nursing mother. And that's that's dependent on company size. And that's also dependent on whether or not that profession is in one of the exceptions in the list. And I didn't have too much time to get crazy into it, but I do know that sailors are mentioned and seafarers. Now, there were two places that I saw. One talked about international seafaring and then one just talked about seafaring in general. So it's, I, I would really stress that you take the time to read how that can potentially apply to you. And generally, that's kind of talking about they're giving you a place, a safe place to pump that's not a restroom, which is big, that they're giving you an adequate break to do that. And that, you know, you're, you're actually given the chance to follow through with that, that feeding goal if you have it. And I believe that the act is valid for infants up to a year old. I believe that that's how long it's in effect. Now, states, that's federally, states may have higher levels of protection in place. So they may require more specific things to be available or, you know, a dedicated lactation room with a lock on the door with a fridge or, you know, whatever it might be, states will vary. And then on top of that, every company gets to have their own policy as long as it is within those, within the act's standards. So the federal is like the minimum standard, certain states may exceed that, and then certain companies may exceed both of those, essentially. Right, right. And that's unfortunately going to be so specific to your job and state and where you're working and what you're trying to do. And if that's something that somebody has a question about, you know, (laughs) let me work on it. (laughs) I'll figure it out. (laughs) As far as like, traveling goes, one of the really big things that I encourage you to do is if you know your itinerary ahead of time, figure out what airports you're going to be flying through and figure out what their regulations are regarding human milk. In the United States, it's different than it would be in Japan or Spain or England. And You know, some may allow you to fly with it just as a carry-on and they may not have any limit on the number of ounces you can bring, or it may have to be packaged a certain way. You may have to check it. And so you want to know that ahead of time because you want to know how you're going to safely store it that whole time. There are a list of guidelines on the CDC's website that tell you at what temperature, how long that milk is good for. Mm -hmm. And so 
as you're traveling, you're going to want to keep that in mind. You know, did you just pump? Can you put it in a cooler with an ice pack? Or is it in a cooler that's, you know, packed with dry ice? You know, what's the temperature of that cooler? How long will you be traveling for? And so there's kind of a lot that goes into that, but it's going to be very airport and country dependent. It's also going to be kind of logistically challenging potentially because that's one more item you're carrying with you. So you may have to bring a cooler or, you know, a backpack cooler or an insulated lunchbox or something like that to make that work for you in your situation. Sure. Yeah. And like, I know even just seeing the variances, like traveling around the U S with TSA regulations, I would almost say like having the regulations printed off the website so that if anyone gives you a hard time because they're just not familiar with it or, you know, so much, because they're not familiar with it or because they haven't seen this commonly having the regulations just to show them like, Hey, this actually came off of the security website for this country could be really helpful too. I agree. And it may even be even more helpful if you not only have that in English, but you have that in the country's language as well. Yeah. Because they may understand that significantly better if it's presented in their language. Definitely. So let's talk about additional items that you may need to bring to a ship if you're planning on pumping and or bringing milk home. So this list may seem crazy. I'm just going to preface it with that. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of this is coming from, you know, client's experience and friend's experience. I have one really great friend and she nightmates and she pumps while she's on the ship and she's been telling me the different things she's had to figure out along the way. And then also in my experience, I have been exclusively pumping for a little over 16 months at this point. And there's a lot that can go into that when you're pumping so consistently and so often. So I'm just going to say the obvious one, you're going to need a pump. And a charger. (laughs) So you're going to want an electric pump and any power cord and any power adapter that may go with that. I know that the pump that I have also has an additional adapter that you can just put some AA batteries in and you can pump on the go or if there is a power outage. So make sure you have all of that with you. If you're using a wearable pump, then make sure you have the charging cords and USB adapters to actually charge those. I also recommend that you have a manual pump. And a lot of times hospitals will give you that in your like, here's your baby, congratulations, gift bag mm-hmm. <laughs> that you pay for. So I would, I would bring a manual pump with you because you never know if your pump is just going to die on you. You really don't. Or if for some reason you're not going to have power on the ship. (laughs) The next couple of big items, you're probably going to want some hand sanitizer because you don't necessarily know when you're going to have access to clean drinking water and Mm. soap. You're going to want enough milk storage bags. So this is kind of one of those, you're going to have to figure this out a little bit ahead of time as to generally how much you pump in each session and then how much you're able to actually transport home. That kind of plays a role in that you're going to want a dedicated Sharpie because there is no relying on whether or not you can have 
find a pen on a ship. I mean, inevitably, <laughs> you cannot find a pen on a ship <laughs> when you need one. You're going to need the milk collection bottles and lids that are specific to your pump's adapters. To, so whatever your flanges connect to, you're going to want those. Now, this one's a little bit more of like a tried and true method. When you pump and put your milk into a milk storage bag, the most convenient way to store it is if you have laid it flat in the freezer and let it freeze flat. And then you put, it's depending on how much milk you put in that bag, and you can put like 10 of them in a gallon Ziploc and it creates like a milk brick. And then on top of that, I would put it in a tamper evident bag. And I would only do that on a ship because everybody has access to the reefers. And okay. as much as I would like to trust human nature that nobody's going to want to touch your milk, you really just don't know. And I think it's just better peace of mind to get some of those off of you know Amazon or get them at Walmart or wherever it might be and put your milk inside of those. To freeze it flat, you can bring a piece of cardboard and tuck it in your backpack. You could bring a small cookie sheet. I would not expect the stewards department to let you use a cookie sheet. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of the next couple of items are specific to cleaning. You're going to want to have bottle brushes. You're going to want to have dish soap because there's no guaranteeing that there's actually a supply of dish soap on a ship. You're going to want to have some alcohol wipes that if you need to wipe off the tubing or the pump or, you know, something quick, you're going to want to have parts sanitizing bags. And a lot of times these are disposable. You use them like 10 to 20 times to microwave all of your pump parts with some water in it. And that will keep everything tip top condition. Some of those are actually reusable now. They make silicone bags that do the same thing. And then you're going to want a collapsible container for cleaning all of your parts. So when you clean Flanges and duck bills and milk bottles, it should all be cleaned inside of a, uh, a wash basin that's specific for that use. It should never be put in a kitchen sink or a bathroom sink. So they make, like if you go to REI, they make collapsible dishwashing basins, which are perfect for this. And they're super lightweight because they're intended for you know campers and backpackers. You're also going to want a collapsible drying rack so that when you wash your parts, you can set them up so that they actually dry before you store them again. Mm. And then on top of that, you're going to want replacement parts for your pump. So the various pump parts don't have like a, a lifelong lifespan. So duck bills, for example, depending on how often you're pumping, you could be changing those every two weeks or you could be changing those every four weeks or every six weeks or every eight weeks. And that's going to be specific to you, but you want to make sure you have enough to get you through however long you're going to be on the ship. You're going to want a set of replacement tubing just in case. I have had tubing randomly crack. I have had tubing get condensation in it and start to try to form mold, in which case I've had to throw it out. And I've also just had it not connect well to the pump. So I've had to trim it or just use a whole new set of tubing. If you use flange cushions, when you pump, you're going to want a couple of sets of those. If you use any sort of lubrication while you pump, you're going to want that. And then 
semi-related to pumping, but mostly just related to your success. As far as lactation goes, you might want to bring a tiny collapsible bowl that you could put some warm water and some Epsom salt in. Say you get a milk bleb or a clogged duct or you're engorged and you can soak to relieve pressure. You can soak to help the healing process, but you're not really going to want to do that with your run-of-the-mill galley bowl. So I would bring one of your own. And I really like the haka for that, if that's something yes. that you've already invested in anyways. Yes, absolutely. And the haka is, is perfect for that. I would have a dedicated pumping slash lactation backpack or bag so that all of your stuff is in one place. You're not looking through all of your bags to find everything. I would make sure you have pumping bras, whatever it is you're comfortable with, know that ahead of time. And you may want to have a couple of them because you never really know when you get to do laundry on a ship. Sometimes I would have a cover up and maybe you're all about not caring what anybody sees and that's fine, but maybe your company is not all about that. And maybe that part of the provision of you being allowed to do this is they ask you to cover up, or maybe you're going to have to pump on watch and you want to be covered up anyways, you know, whatever it, it might be, I would bring a simple cover up and that can be a towel that you use, or it can be a bandana. I mean, it doesn't have to be a dedicated, I bought this at motherhood maternity cover up. (laughs) And then I would have a printed copy of the milk storage guidelines so that you could put them with the reefer that you're going to be able to store your milk in, but also so that you can reference it and remember, oh, this milk sat out for a half hour. It's okay. Or, oh, this milk sat out for five hours because I totally lost track of the fact that I pumped. I need to get rid of this. And then you may also want to have like a little cheat sheet about when your parts actually need to be replaced. So when your tubing needs to be replaced, when your duct bills need to be replaced, and then maybe put that on like a calendar that says like, oh, today's the day I need to remember to change these out. And then you're also, if you're on a ship and wanting to send your milk home, you need to have all the supplies to make that happen ahead of time. So whether that's with a a company like Milk Stork, or maybe you've found some other way to go about it, you need to have the cooler or the boxes or the dry ice or, you know, whatever, whatever's involved in that shipping labels, points of contact, you know, whether you're going to have to fill out custom forms for any reason, you're going to want to have that ahead of time. And so that it seems like a really long list, but there's kind of a lot (laughs) that goes into exclusive pumping, especially when you're doing it every day and especially when you're doing it on a ship or traveling. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fantastic list. And of course it's going to look really different depending on whether you're pumping and dumping or Mm -hmm. pumping and storing milk and bringing it home and everything else. Do you have any tips for women who are planning on trying to get the milk home somehow? That's where I would look into a company like Milk Stork. They're obviously the most widely known company. The tricky part about Milk Stork is they're very expensive. And if that's a cost that you're, you know, you are, that's your goal and you're going to make this happen however possible, then that's great. I know that in one of the previous podcast episodes, one of the women was able to get that expensed through her company. And that's huge. And that's a conversation that you need to have with your company. And who knows, maybe all of them would be on board with that. They just haven't been presented the question yet. We just don't know. 
But I think that the more that we ask the questions and the more that this gets brought up and normalized, the more it's just not going to be an issue. And it's just going to be like, oh yeah, we do it this way. Don't worry. We'll, we'll make sure your milk gets home. Yeah. No, that's an awesome point. And again, it goes back to asking for what you need. Like your average HR representative, unless they're super tuned in to what goes on on in terms of offshore lifestyle and even whether or not you've had a baby, right? Mm-hmm. May or may not be aware that breastfeeding or pumping is a goal and you would like to be able to bring the milk home in some capacity, whether it's just bringing home, you know, your last couple days supply or getting it expensed. And so that's, that's a really great point, Diana. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Okay. So one thing I want to make sure that we talk about on this episode today is maintaining supply. I know personally, I had no idea that my supply would regulate around three months, which is (laughs) about the time I went back to work. So prior to that, I was making and freezing a ton of milk, like more than my daughter could need. But when I went back to work, I really struggled with finding the time to take pumping breaks. Didn't understand that not making it a priority would affect my supply. So let's talk about that. So I think milk supply is like the number one thing that everybody talks about, no matter whether you're just nursing or you're pumping or you're doing both. And it can get kind of emotional for a lot of people, you know, like, oh, I didn't have enough of a supply or I had an oversupply or I made just enough. And I think that all of those terms are really loosely thrown around in society nowadays. And especially on social media, you see posts where people are like, check out all this milk. And it's like eight bottles of milk. And they're like, I pumped this in one session. But like, do you know that they pumped that in one session? We don't know. And I think it's really important to understand that your supply is not, you cannot judge that against anybody else's supply. So that's my first really big point is somebody may say like when they pump, they pump six ounces at a time. And you may be like, wow, that's amazing. All I ever get is like a half ounce, but maybe you're a week postpartum and your milk hasn't really come in yet. And so now you're discouraged because you don't have a, you have a perceived insufficient milk supply. And so when you go from nursing solely to pumping exclusively on a ship, or maybe you've, you know, hopefully you listen to the first part of this podcast and you pumped some ahead of time. When you are pumping full time, you are trying to mimic how much your infant would be removing milk or nursing. So the goal typically, what we advise is 120 to 140 minutes a day of pumping. And that can be broken up pretty easily. So a lot of times, you know, right around the two or three month mark, you're still feeding anywhere from eight to 12 times a day. And so if you're pumping eight times a day, you're only having to pump for 15 to 20 minutes each time. If you are pretty far into your journey and you are really well regulated, you figured out what works well for you. Maybe you're pumping four times a day, but you're pumping for 30 minutes each time. 
And then the spacing of that, I try to recommend that you do it as consistently as you can, but going, you know, one day where you're pumping on your schedule and you're great. And then the next day you, one of your pumpings gets, you know, set back two hours. But if you still do it, that's still milk removal that's happening. And so your supply is solely dependent on how much milk is removed. So no amount of eating cookies or drinking beverages or taking supplements is going to help your supply. That's been completely debunked at this point. And it's talked about a lot. (laughs) Definitely making sure that you're hydrated, especially if you're going from your air conditioned house to a hundred degree (laughs) engine room. Right. But yes, drinking above additional above your hydration, like normal hydration levels is not going to. Right. So we always say drink to thirst and eat to hunger. Yeah. And you're going to be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) If you're in an environment where it's, you know, you're just sweating like crazy or it's super, super humid or it's super, super dry, you know, whatever it might be. And you're drinking excess. That's your body telling you you needed that water anyways. But if you're trying to drink an extra 90 ounces of water a day in hopes that you're going to get 90 ounces of milk, that's not how that works. And so it's really, really important to know that if you're trying to maintain your supply, you have to consistently remove milk efficiently. So you want to be the right size flange, pumping at the right level suction, using a pump that works well for you. Some people respond really well to one type of pump, but not the other. Some people respond really well to wearable pumps. Some do not. And some I know of a couple of people who respond really well to manual or hand pumps, but do not respond well to electric pumps at all. And so maintaining your supply is going to be dependent on a couple of things. And that the number one thing just comes back to efficient milk removal. And if you're trying to increase your supply, which is what a lot of people are worried about, like, hey, what can I do to increase my supply? You remove more milk. That's the answer. (laughs) There's no like rocket science with that. (laughs) Diana, thank you so much for compiling all this information for us. This has definitely given people a to think about. And so I appreciate you starting this conversation. I certainly hope it's not the end of it. Where can people find you or reach out to you if they have additional questions? Sure. So my website is polarislactation.com. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, both are just polarislactation. And then if you want to email me, it's Diana Ormond at polarislactation.com. Before you go, here are some events on deck from my colleague Savannah at the Oil & Gas Global Network. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, 
network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.